1: Oh, that's not really my line. Oh well, I guess I'll just say it. What's good, internet? It's Monday, September twenty-first, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode three forty-seven. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and joining me today we have Ricardo Contreras, Hi, Gita Jackson.
2: Hi, I'm Gita.
1: And Patrick Klepek. Uh, It's beautiful. Just Just all the T's pronounced so crisply.
2: (laughs) well sound the internet.
1: <laughs> Look I shouldn't even be here, okay? (laughs) We were going to skip this episode because we just finished up SavePoint 2020, our charity marathon for national bailout. Uh, By the way, thanks to everyone who donated their time and money making that a success, we raised $145,000 for a national bailout (gasps) bailout (gasps) bailout over the last week. And we wrapped up late last night, at which point we were going to Hold on. Also, you can
3: continue to donate. Go to SavePoint.istream. Keep giving them money. Okay, continue. Do it. Let's run up the score. Hit 150. Don't be a coward. Hell yeah. But-
1: when we signed off, we hadn't like said anything in stone, but like it was late and I was thinking there's no way like tomorrow we're we're probably not going to record anything. Like we're done. Like we're it's time we're, We late. don't have ad deals to honor, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs> We might though. Uh, we should circle back on that after the podcast. Anyway, though, so we weren't going to be doing this, uh, except Microsoft had other plans. Uh, today they announced they're acquiring ZeniMax Media, the company that owns or owned uh, Bethesda, which means that Microsoft now owns Fallout, Elder Scrolls, Doom, its software, Arcane, and the Dishonored series, Machine Games, and others. I'm probably leaving stuff out. Uh, so yeah, this is a pretty massive acquisition. What do we make of it? Uh, what, what is the play?
2: And read a tweet from Jason Strayer, and you're just like, "Damn, you're really going to change my entire fucking day, man!" <laughs> <laughs> like, just, God damn it! Fuck you, dude. Um, just kidding, Jason. You're fine. Um, hello. You're definitely not listening to this. <laughs> so whatever. Uh, I, I, fuck me, man. This sucks. <laughs> I, I I can't come away from. I'm so nail. I've been thinking so much. So actually, here's where we start in the story. This weekend, David and I watched, uh, uh the beginning of the Jewish New Year, Shana Chava, friends. friends, uh, we watched Labor 2049 because we hadn't seen it before, or David hadn't seen it before, I'd seen it before, and I was just like willing to, it'd been long enough that I was like... I wonder if I'll get anything out of it this time. I wonder if I'll see something different that I didn't see last time. And we did both We did both just talk for a long time about how much we didn't like it in comparison to the original Blade Runner, which the comparison invites by being called Blade Runner 2049. Um, <coughs> I mean, we're think- I was thinking about just like how shallow a lot of these things that were once huge cultural touchstones for me because of their weirdness have become, which I feel like is an accurate description. Of the relationship to Blade Runner and Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and part of that is because only a couple companies make things anymore. There's no real independent uh, moving pictures that reach mass audiences through the traditional studio system. I'm working on a story about like the future of movies and movie theaters, and a lot of it does come down to uh, there's just like a, there's one big corporation that's buying all the other ones, <laughs> and they're limiting severely the kinds of movies that get made. Uh, and when I look at this, it's like, damn, it's so cool that like Fallout New Vegas 2 is like a real possibility, but also you look at like the Skyrim series, Elder Scrolls series was once a huge cultural juggernaut that did not have anything to do with the three major companies that we think of when we think of video games, Sony, Nintendo, and Microsoft, and now it belongs to Microsoft. Fuck! Like I've seen this slippery slope before. It's a fucking like it's the it's the slide on uh slides the uh, slides and ladders that goes all the way fucking down to the first square. Yeah, sucks ass. I, like
1: I think that is a fair concern. Um, certainly that was, and and I think one of the things to remember about this is, um, I think at the early stage of these things, they tend to these deals tend to be pretty cool. Like I think in the near future. There's going to be a lot of games on Game Pass and suddenly like, who oh boy, uh, you want to play all like a ton of good games on Game Pass uh, on oh, a new console sick. that maybe you can Me. find us through Microsoft. Uh, sure, weeping.
2: We love this. <laughs> yeah, this rocks.
1: Yeah. But I think over time, like these mergers do tend to like reduce competition. They do tend to reduce like diversity of products uh, that are out there. I think that's been the that has been the arc in in film. Uh yeah.
2: so I, I, me sewing. I, oh this fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: I, I, I think I, I think that is a dynamic of this. And I, I do wonder, you know, you were talking about theaters there at what point. Um I I need to remember for a long time uh the Paramount case I think dictated uh the reason you needed film distributors, uh and yeah. the reason like uh like movie theaters could not be owned by studios uh yeah. for for a long time. Um I I do wonder if any of that ever comes back into play at some point as we begin moving toward this uh subscription model. But yeah. yeah, it does. We are we are moving toward a weird territory not just because of the industry consolidation, but also because I think this is clearly part of a new model of like making games available, selling games yeah. uh that Microsoft has embraced and that is the subscription model. Uh yeah. so that they're wanna- definitely centering
2: Look at what's happened in the entertainment industry really quickly. Um, what because of the Paramount case, yes, you know we have we have the system where movie theaters cannot be owned by the studios themselves. There has to be an intermediary before it goes to the consumer. Um, in the world of video games, like that is like not a factor, really. You know, game pass can go direct to the consumer. doesn't matter. All these people have their own storefronts. you know, it's part of being a serious player in games. you have your own storefront. Um, but what we're looking at in movies right now is like the, since Troll Two World Tour, Patrick. I don't know if that made it into the Klepik household as. Oh, a it's tactic. oh, it's
4: uh, that's the Trolls <laughs> yeah. is a huge part of the Jessica uh, Rose Clubick universe, and so Troll Two <laughs> was a day where we d- transformed our downstairs into a movie theater with fake tickets wow. and popcorn, wow. and it was a it was a big it was a big deal, and that that's movie actually Troll Two World yes. Tour legitimate like totally decent sequel way better than that piece of shit frozen 2 um, i <laughs> I've heard frozen
2: 2 sex it's I have. it's
4: ba- it's it's bad it trolls too like actually has like a really good message for kids oh, like that's it's cute. yeah it's 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 decent
2: well, it was you are also a part of movie making history that broke just smashed so many digital records when it came to Uh, distribution and, like, making money off of digital-only sales. Because that was, like, in March, that was, like, the beginning of lockdown. People were like, okay, I'm buckling the fuck up. I'm going to see what this is like to let this movie premiere digitally rather than going to theaters first. What these major corporations found immediately was that, oh, if we just fuck over movie theaters, we can make a ton more money. If we just don't have to filter any of our money through movie theaters, we can go direct-to-consumer and just fucking gouge them. You know, uh, Mulan made more money than Tenet in theaters. I think we're just going to see, potentially, you know, those numbers are fuzzy also because now we're in this realm where they don't actually have to report accurate numbers to us anymore because there's Mm -hmm. no third party watching them. So like, just like, you're you're watching in movies, people develop an ecosystem that is extremely similar to what games already has. And it just makes me feel like we're making a mistake here.
4: I mean, this might be one of those natural, you know, when we were had a discussion recently about Microsoft's strategy and like what are going to be the consequences of that strategy that are, that Microsoft is aware of and not telling us, or as an industry we're unaware of and we'll just have to find out as a natural consequence of their approach playing out. Um, yeah. You know, if uh, I saw someone over the weekend, I think it was Patricia Hernandez, made this analogy in which if... um you look at Microsoft and Sony as Microsoft wants to be the Netflix of video games and Sony wants to be the HBO. Mm -hmm. And the reason that analogy I think is interesting is because Sony appears to be okay being a premium uh, product that you come for, for the best of the best of a certain type of variety, right? That's the same with HBO. HBO doesn't like, I mean, they have a a spectrum of shows they run, but they fall kind of within a certain like heavy drama category. And then within different genres Sci fi, fantasy, a yeah. crime, et cetera. Um, well, that's
2: the thing they said to Joss Whedon. I mean, fuck that dude, but they told Joss Whedon they wouldn't do a show with him because they didn't want genre producers making genre shows. They wanted people who would do a twist on it. Yeah,
4: right. And that, that's that, that falls, falls within Watchmen approach. and, yeah. uh, you know, Lovecraft Country. Like, that all falls within that bucket. And so, yeah. Um, and they, they charge a premium for you to get just those shows, which is uh, not, not as nearly as much content as you get through a Hulu or a Netflix or one of these other services. Whereas Xbox clearly is making the investment that they want you to forget that you're paying for Game Pass. They want this to become part of your monthly just – that's just money out the door. And there's – Netflix has some good shows. But by and large, it's, it's like their whole model is you turn it on and we'll find something that's just good enough – that you're going to enjoy, yeah. no matter what. It's like um, Amazon and Prime
2: Video, just being part of your Prime subscription. You know, yes. I don't really recognize every day that I have the ability to watch uh, jo- jo- Jim from the Office fight nuclear Venezuela and the Tim Tom Clancy adaptation, but I do. It's just there for me if I <laughs> want it, I guess. Like-
4: <laughs> and yeah, and Netflix is just a thing that you turn on. It's like, there'll yeah. be something that I can fuck around with. And I think that's yeah, clearly the model that Xbox is going towards between acquisitions like this and uh, generally their product library uh, is is this idea that uh, you're just going to be able to turn on Game Pass and there'll be something for you. Because if you look at the output of Bethesda and their like content library from the last couple of years, uh, th- that that is quite a... Uh, addition to what they're what they're doing i think the question is how much hardball does microsoft want to play here is this something where fallout 5 uh star light i forget what that game is called starfield starfield um uh the next elder scrolls like does that become an xbox exclusive like i'm not convinced of that i think they could go that route i i think it's more likely like you know what 10 million PlayStation owners want to buy Elder Scrolls there. Go right ahead. We actually think Game Pass day one where they can say, actually, do you want to pay 15 bucks for the new Fallout instead of uh, 70? Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's actually the route they go rather than a more draconian acquisition like an EA, which I think is like the, the bigger worry of a company like that, where it's like they just fuck up the culture and they fuck yeah. up how the games are made. I think it's, look, Minecraft has gone, they took it away from a bad person, and <laughs> Minecraft seems to be doing just fine. And it's so, doing
2: really, really well.
4: Um, I, I share all the concerns over like the consolidation. I think this is a, a red flag that there is going to be a lot more of that going yeah. forward. I think there is going to continue to be acquisition sprees um, of studios in the next 10 years as the, as subscriptions become like more prevalent and the way they, we experience and distribute games changes, I think that is going to happen. I think his concerns are, are spot on there, um, but I don't necessarily in this specific instance. Like Bethesda has made the point in a blog post that like we're still publishing our own games. So there mm. seems to be a distance where it's like we've just bought you so we can put you on Game Pass. Because if Elder Scrolls Six makes two billion dollars. Um, five years from now, that's paid off a third of this um, already, and so I think yeah. they can. They, they may have done the calculation there that just let them do their own thing, and maybe the DLC gets delayed off PlayStation. Like they can tweak around the on the margins to to goose it for themselves. But if literally nothing changed, but they got all those games for Game Pass now and in perpetuity, that deal pays off itself. Yeah, um, this
2: is a short term like positive outcome for both of these studios, but like if you look at it in terms of. With the way the ownership of entertainment properties has been trending over the past 10 years, it's just a worrisome sign.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Essentially, yeah.
1: Question, though. So Bethesda's saying, you know, good news. We're still publishing our own stuff. Is that good news? Because here's the other thing. Um, Bethesda... Like their games, well, you can feel however you want about the arc of the Fallout series under Bethesda, but like. Bad. By
3: and large, yeah. Bethesda, <laughs> Fallout, 3,
1: <laughs> Fallout 3 was great, and then that
4: game was Fallout New Vegas, and, you know, thank you. Like, yeah. please like, let me have another treat. Uh, mm-hmm. But
1: but yeah, like Fallout 4 I thought was uh, really, really bad. <laughs> Just well, an absolute garbage, even, man. And then setting that aside. Like, how have they been as a publisher? They've, it, it, like, I've always had weird feelings about them because on the one hand, their slate of games is really interesting. I, like, I love the, the uh, I was going to say the Arcane series, which I guess is true enough. Um, Dishonored, <laughs> I adore. Yeah. Prey was cool as hell. Yeah. Uh, I thought some of their stuff in uh, horror looked interesting. Pardon interesting. Evil, yeah. Evil Within 1 is uh, not very good. I thought Evil Within 2 was fantastic, wildly overlooked uh, yeah. game. Wolfenstein I like less as I get away from it and think about it a bit more but like it was cool at the time it had a vibe but but the thing is none of those games I don't think did particularly well like in terms of in in terms of like allowing people to make interesting games Bethesda seems like they were a fun publisher to have in the space in Mm -hmm. terms of like bringing those to audiences and like supporting them. I don't know how the track record has been there. Uh, I don't know how much blame you attach to Bethesda for, for some of these things, not really breaking outside of, of cult status. Um, But I, I do kind of look at this as I see a lot of interesting franchises that now like live under Microsoft. They're franchises that Bethesda doesn't seem to have ever really learned quite what to do with or, or how to uh, make into a bigger deal. And so I'm a little bit lukewarm on the notion of like those same people being in charge of like <laughs> the future of that portfolio. Because, right. you know, yeah. sometimes it's OK to, uh, you know, why don't you sit this one out? Why don't you, you know, take a knee.
2: You sort of look at the the tail on Microsoft support of um, <clears throat> uh, God, I can the outer worlds for yeah. almost said the wrong game, <laughs> but you know they have a DLC out which I haven't played yet that I'd like to play because I really did enjoy those characters and that played broke. that on
1: stream during Save Point with our friend oh. Edward uh, from Motherboard. Every I so. I'm not sure what I make of that DLC yet, Gita, but it well, seems it seems cool. Do you like detective stories?
2: I do actually really like detective stories. Yeah. yeah.
1: Corporate malfeasance, detection. Yeah,
2: I mean, this is the shit, this is my bread and butter. I really feel like they made that game, like, really, really, really specifically for me and the sort of pulp content that I really like, which is uh, just fucked up corporations and no escape from them, (laughs) essentially. So um, I know I am the the Outer Worlds liker, but, like, I, I look at that and it's just, like, I remember so much buzz and such a big marketing push, like, the amount of emails I got <laughs> about the game when it first came out and this DLC, I'm just seeing, like, even though that game sold incredibly well, they had all these, like, really great numbers about the success of selling the sales of that game, I'm not feeling the same, like, intensity of saturation when it comes to the very first part, like portion of, like, post-game content that they have out, what's supposed to, like, make this game, like, more than just a fun couple of hours, essentially, you know that that stuff also worries me a little bit.
4: I mean, just that's, just that at that, that game's I such know a it's weird just one game. Yeah, well, it's also a weird situation because it's one where Take Two remains in the driver's seat of a game developed. In a franchise that like they're not going to be a part of in the future, like you know what I mean? Like shit. it's a very <laughs> yeah. weird like situation, um, and that's all. It's also like there's some of that with uh, the Bethesda news today because yeah. um, Sony clearly made the. Um, I think smart calculation that they wanted to align themselves this generation with Bethesda. They um, have Deathloop and uh, Ghostwire as qu- timed exclusives If based on uh, past history. That means a year um, mm-hmm. tied to at least um, the PlayStation probably comes out in the PC at the same time. And um, uh, there, I saw I, – I don't know who to attribute this to on Twitter, but this one of the reporters I follow, there was a bit going around that um, – that uh that sony had been in negotiations uh to potentially get um starfield as a timed exclusive on playstation and so maybe that is what accelerated like this deal even you know coming to fruition is the idea that like oh if sony thinks they're going to this is the big western studio they're going to align themselves with then um you know let's just you know close the, the the book on this and and move and move on so um yeah. yeah, big like stuff. Big stuff. This big doesn't happen all that often. Microsoft has been associated with a lot of like near deals over the years, including a couple of Japanese companies. Um, I continue to actually kind of believe that that had Monster Hunter World not been a big deal, Capcom would have been eaten up yeah. by mm. Microsoft, and and yeah. Monster Hunter World essentially saved uh, Capcom from uh, becoming uh, part of that mothership. Um, but uh, yeah,
2: it's it is it is Fox. I mean, that's being acquired by Disney, big. Like that is the level of big that it is, and.
3: And then it's I a question of what do they
4: what do they do? Like yeah. because you can you can look at um, the Disney Fox acquisition as primarily being like uh, Marvel bringing in the last of yeah. their characters through bad licensing deals in the nineties yeah. acquisition. Um, because you look at some of the ramifications of the Disney Fox deal, such as uh, they're just going to stop producing four K Blu rays of. Uh, Uh, Fox, like, archival titles. I forget the specifics, but basically, like, they were... Disney is very selective with like what they produce on physical and whereas Fox was putting out all of their titles now they're suddenly going to be selective um, yeah. movies like Alien were no longer going to be able to just like independent theaters could just run like say yeah. hey we, we're going to run Alien like Disney was like ah actually like unless this is part of like a big marketing campaign oh you're not going to be so able, able to do that only... stuff and so it's like it, 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 if like <laughs> w- it, <laughs> yeah, the, those are the, the smaller you know like again I'm an MCU stand, so like I look at yeah. you know X-Men getting the fold and like that makes me excited but I also look at all the other stuff like, well, this is where regulators are supposed to come in and either prevent um, an acquisition like this happening yes. without without strict rules in place that explain um like spin off alien. You know, like great. Like if you just wanted to pay billions of dollars to get X-Men, like God bless you. Like, go yeah. go with God. Um, but also, maybe but spin I off need- a smaller studio that can go handle all this other stuff. And- yeah,
2: give me a chance for the sequel to Alien Covenant that we all deserve and Ridley Scott clearly wants. To it's called it, okay? Raised
4: by Wolves on HBO Max. That <laughs> Yo, show fucking actually, slaps. It that is show so is so fucking,
2: fucking good, though. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, really? That show is incredible. Oh, I love you it. You want to watch I Prometheus,
4: can- the TV show? It is Raised by Wolves. It is on HBO Max <laughs> right now. David Grossman,
2: like, uh, this great writer Prometheus? for Inverse. I don't you know do. if you've heard of him. Just wrote a wonderful article about Raised by Wolves. We've been watching it together. It truly is like it gives me a little bit of a lost vibe in that I don't know if they know where they're going, but I am I for this ride care. for now. <laughs> yeah. See, this is the difference between Patrick and me. It's like I'm like, I have long-term questions and he's like, buddy, give it to me. I'm I here. Know where we're I'm here going going for next, this. Though,
1: and we're yeah. going to break. So we'll be back after these episodes. <laughs> So one of the things I want to talk about <laughs> briefly here is like what this does mean for the upcoming console generation. I think it was already clear. Microsoft shot is this this Netflix model. Um, I guess one of the things i about beep, 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 is I just want to I just want to some clarification beep, beep, before you continue forward. Yeah. uh. uh
4: so uh, Phil Spencer has said that um, Microsoft will this is very will honor the PS5 exclusivity commitment for Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo, which is just like funny. Like in a, we will honor, like we are fully within our power to like rip up
1: those Phil contracts. Phil Spencer
2: is just like I could have said fuck them kids and I didn't. Uh, <laughs> You're you, can
0: have,
1: you can have Ghostwire Tokyo.
0: Go ahead. Me. Based I'm on Joe what I've
4: Ghostwire. seen, you can have Ghostwire Tokyo. <laughs> like see, uh, but uh. Future Bethesda games will be on Xbox, PC, and, quote, other consoles on a case-by-case basis, which is a okay. little more aggressive than I was making the case earlier that I thought they might just let it go. But it yeah. sounds like they, they not, not surprisingly, they, they, I won't be shocked if it's something where... Hey, you're going to get fall, you know, um, um, you'll get the new Bethesda Game Studios game, but it's coming a year later or it's coming six months later or it's a month only on Game Pass and Xbox or something. So,
2: Yo, shout anyway. out to my friend Max for for giving me this PC I'm using right now. So these become non-issues for me. But yeah, I'm like, <laughs> if I were someone that was thinking about buying a console for this next generation of games, if there is a game that I really, really wanted to play, this I, my tip here? I would be... I would be at a place now where I just don't know where the fuck to do. Like, I I feel like they're all so expensive. You're only going to get one. The Xbox one, the Xbox, not even one. The Xbox Series S feels like the best possible purchase based on this acquisition and Game Pass stuff. But there's still now the existence of exclusives that Bethesda will have that will go to the PS5. I don't know. This is just an incredibly uh, confusing landscape and I don't like it anymore. I think it's bad.
4: What people <laughs> should do is not buy any of these machines at launch, and they should yeah. wait a year and yeah. then see where the dust <laughs> <laughs> settles. <Please. laughs> I Please. know most people are listening to this podcast are probably not going to do that, and people are excited to buy these new machines. I get that. But, yeah, I'm I'm with Like, yeah, like an Xbox Series S, like even if you do like the monthly thing, seems like yeah. not a, a terrible way forward. Or if you already were going to be someone buying a PS5. Yeah, you know, if you just adding, tw- what was it, you know, twenty five dollars a month, like that's yeah, uh, that completely wild. If this like convinced you to to get on board with, yeah, um, this with it, it
2: feels like a real coup de grace for Microsoft, where they completely just am- annihilate the news of that Sony presser from last week. No one gives a and fuck their pre orders open tomorrow, <laughs> and their pre orders open literally tomorrow. Like this is. This is a one of those business deals that business reporters that are complete sycophants for the idea of business just salivate over. And it's also just like, I, oh, uh, uh, oh, like what a position! Like it's it's so perfect in the in a capitalist sense that I feel like I have to hate it. You know, <laughs> like it gets a Microsoft everything that they want, and I feel like that that's bad. <laughs> I don't well, want them to have it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's. It's a weird thing in that I think I would have loved for ages for something like um, Game Pass to have existed. Um, Yeah. You know, and in some ways it almost feels like all these various subscription services um, and particularly like Amazon Prime, like do sort of have the vibe of like the video rental store. Uh, And that's kind of where that experience is now migrated to uh we're like hey try this out but like you know games pass is much more generous right you basically like you have the game now just play like you can play it and i'm not even sure how it handles when a game rolls off game pass because i'm pretty sure stuff i've installed will still run if i uh, that i haven't finished uh that is no longer on game pass so that's what i need to look at um uh, but it's it's a really interesting offer and i think it gives a lot of people room to experiment and try things out. And that can be a very good thing for some of these Bethesda properties that like maybe didn't find an audience. People just didn't yeah. commit to buying them. But like the my- one thing about
2: Game Pass is it's like being able to go to the video store and just grabbing something it, it might, and discovering something that you might really, really love. Uh, Crusader Kings 3, I think, was the best example of a game that you should put on Game Pass so that people can have a demo experience, essentially and spend the time that they need to spend with that game to learn it because it is so complex. And, uh, you know, that's a best-case scenario, right, is you get your game introduced to a lot of new audiences that wouldn't have tried it with a big, you know, $60, $70 price tag.
4: And also, if you... We have, on this podcast, many times um, sort of lamented but also understood that probably, you know, games like Prey, you know, underperforming commercially... Um, and maybe just sort of an indifference from certain you know parts of the market, suggested that maybe like this type of Dishonored game that a lot of us like a lot, maybe just like in the format that it's being delivered, it isn't going to make any sense anymore for mm-hmm. a company to fund. But th- in this scenario, like a Prey 2 doesn't need to be – the kind of game that Bethesda needed it to be for them to justify it so if you want like a one potential opening here where you're like you're trying to like okay capitalism bad but like how can the endorphins hit me and make me feel good yeah Yeah, Um, exactly I still have to
2: live here bitch (laughs) like
4: Like your, your best chance – like it's not – I wouldn't be – I would not be shocked at all if a deal like this suddenly opens up the ability for those more niche games that don't need to hit certain milestones commercially suddenly makes sense because there's a, there's a foundation because of Game Pass where yeah. a Prey 2, if it was announced, it doesn't have to have the weight of the world on its shoulders because it just needs a certain number of people to stick around on – Game Pass, or sign up for Game Pass to check it out, and that those are the sort of we won't know for five, ten years. Yeah, how has this changed the calculation on what games are funded, why they are funded, in ways that will be positive and negative? We just won't know the full scope of it for a long time, given how long takes games take to develop these days.
2: In the story about movie theaters that I'm writing right now, like the, the, I think what we're all going to have to understand and live with is that the economic changes of the world and the way that media like visual media exists and is published now is going to change dramatically and we are probably all going to be saying goodbye to multiplex movie theaters but that just means that things are different not that things are over so i feel like you know it is a collapse of another similar system in the, the world of movies that led to the age of the Blackbuster. And that age is just ending now, like the age of the studio system also ended. This might be the end of a particular kind of way of distributing and developing games. But that doesn't mean that it's a collapse it's just going to be a huge change. The fact that this is changing because of a couple of business decisions is, I think, the anti-capitalist argument about these kinds of business decisions, right? Like, these people aren't empowered to make the art that they want to make just based on the circumstances they have. They are they are constantly being thrown around by major businesses that want to make all the money off of their labor. Um, that is like the the sort of the, the anti-capitalist reading. But it, it is just sort of like you also have to acknowledge that because we cannot escape the cycle of capitalism, we just have to roll with the punches.
1: I do think this is one of the things that make the makes the impact of these things so hard to gauge is it feels on a lot of fronts uh when it comes to media. We live in an age of like almost startup mentality of creative projects being like really well financed by massive corporations to try to launch a new platform or bring people on board with a new service. Uh, And that is in the short term, good for a lot of creators because suddenly there are new outlets for releasing and financing and creating your work. Um, I am curious what a world of the games industry looks like in a few years where this model is really standard. And now like, of course everyone just has game pass uh, subscriptions you know what's what's hitting on Game Pass now uh, yeah. what does what does that mean for jobs in the industry what does that mean for what is released one of the things that people complain a lot about with uh, Netflix for instance is their decision making is really opaque about why things uh, you know are cancelled or picked up but even beyond that uh, I I think I have major concerns and the sort of lack of confidence about what is coming down the road uh once these deals have are no longer new and novel and they've just become part of the landscape what games are still being made uh what are the budgets given to them uh you know what is driving those decisions uh because that's that's where my i think that's where my fears come in a little bit
2: yeah uh yeah i i i feel like my fears are just founded in the belief that workers should own the means of production, <laughs> you know? And I think that's just basically going to always be my main criticism is that I, I'm i so glad that this seems to be, like, beneficial in the short term for a lot of different kinds of people. And it, I think some of these changes in the games industry should happen, but it is driven by business decisions and not decisions about art and the people who make it. Um,
0: well, that's, that's interesting is, that you make yeah. that point because
4: yeah. – uh, I have a piece that's going up. The embargo is going to lift like in 15 minutes or so in which um, a bunch of X Lab Zero folks, Lab Zero, the developer of Skullgirls and Indivisible and uh, they're the, the head of that studio um, months ago had a bunch of credible. um uh, sort of like sexual harassment allegations and then uh, more recently um allegations um, from uh, a huge amount of its staff about a toxic uh, workplace culture that also echoed a lot of those earlier allegations that resulted in um basically a huge swath of the studio uh just publicly leaving and resigning um mm-hmm. as the uh, the owner didn't uh, make any any meaningful steps towards uh change um and that's uh, – 16 of those employees are sticking together and forming a co-op called Future Club um, that will not legally be a co-op because the there are so few co-ops in the United States that like if you f- legally form a co-op, it's like apparently difficult to get like group health insurance because most health care providers will not even recognize a co-op as a legitimate uh, uh, sort of like organizational structure. But LOL. they are <laughs> – uh, yeah, but they are uh, uh, creating a studio with an org- uh, with a co op infrastructure in which everyone is shared uh, co owners, uh, in which the the profits of their future labor uh, goes into um, these sixteen co owners, and you know whatever expands. they intend to keep that, even with new hires that they will also become co owners, um, and so you know, there's an example in which. You know, it's a small uh, uh, speckle in the 7.5 billion dollar cash yeah. transaction that is Bethesda and Microsoft. But that is an example where a studio implodes, and from its ashes are workers who are taking their own destiny into their own hands and betting on themselves, um, and so that in the future, hopefully, that inspires. I mean, it was it's interesting about Future Club is that 16 people doesn't sound like a lot, but that's as far as I know, that's the largest. Co-op um, that exists in the video game industry. I could be incorrect. In France, there it's more encouraged for you to have co-ops, and so they, it might be like larger there. But in the United States, um, or kind of in North America, and the ones that I have profiled and and written about, like the the the, the developer co-op K-O O-P. And in, in Canada, they only have, I believe, 10 because they have found it difficult to scale past that number in order to keep everyone making the same amount of money, having the shared power without having the co-op sort of like collapse in front of them.
3: Mm-hmm. And so
4: Future Club is a really interesting experiment because yeah, they're starting at 16. They intend to at least double in size and have tried to imagine a world where they get to something like 100. And along that way, they don't intend to like... Oh, they essentially becomes a de facto elite of the co-op. They intend to have everyone that comes in continue to have shared ownership of the company. They're going to have variable uh, salaries because some people have kids and some people don't. And so they, they are not going to do what other co-ops have done where everyone makes the same amount of money in perpetuity. And if you increase the salary, you're increasing all salaries. So they're not keeping that part of it. Um, but they are trying to keep a lot of the other um, parts of the co-op. Um, and it's a really – Fascinating it's experiment, amazing. and I uh, I wish them all the luck in the world because if they can make it work, it hopefully yeah. inspires bigger studios um, to to build on um, what they're what they're what they're doing. So I just wanted to shout that yeah. there's a feature on the site now about that, but I wanted to shout that out That's to awesome. illustrate your point, Gita, that like yeah. there are other ways of doing this yeah. that can um, benefit the you know the workers at the at the heart of it.
2: Yeah, we need to open up the possibility space of what it can mean to be a laborer and how we can labor and how wealth it can be distributed. And that is an incredible, like, that's just not only an inspiration for the games industry. That's an inspiration for people who are wanting to make and own businesses now that you can you can do this in a different way. Um, so I'll, I'm absolutely going to keep my eye on Future Club. I can't wait to read your feature, as always.
1: Um I think that about does it for this topic. Uh, anything we want to hit before we call it a day? anything we want to shout out uh, that we played over the weekend or, or hit up on Save Point? We, well, uh, uh, Hades
2: well, 1.0 is good. That's all I want to say. That's, still-
1: where, that's literally the thing I was going to say. <laughs> that
4: as long as we continue on this Patrick and Gita train, uh, that uh, yeah, I started Hades and it's fucking dope. It's so I, good. Hey, people really I, like that game.
3: And yeah. I don't, okay, I, I,
4: I I did not like playing Pyre. I did not particularly like playing Transistor. And I, yeah. I liked playing Bastion. Like the gameplay of Supergiant has always been, I love your worlds and your music and I will make my way through it to experience your story <laughs> and your characters. Yeah. But the actual playing aspect, like I found Pyre to be like almost like just incomprehensibly boring. I um, feel like uh, this one...
2: This is like such a success story of the early access model, right? I look at the changes they've made based on suggestions from the community, and they're always the exact best changes that they have made. There's a whole system that based on being on early access for as long as it was, was completely changed and completely put in a different, whole different part of the game because they found in practice it just didn't work as well. And I feel like, yeah, I mean, I like Pyre more than you did the gameplay part because it just so clicked with me, the NBA Jam aspect. I was just like, all in, baby. <laughs> like, I'm doing this. Uh, Transistor, I also found that I liked uh, combat more than I think most people did. I think that's their most controversial in terms of combat. Bastion, I think, is a little too fiddly in a couple of different places where I can't quite figure out, should I play on controller? Should I play with keyboard and mouse? You know, it's just like, seems like different weapons were developed with different, con- different methods of control. But um, Hades
1: through early access, they found baby bears bad.
2: Yeah, they, they absolutely found a one that was just right. <laughs> like this is, everything is very, very precise. Every new addition feels like a, it feels like they give you everything exactly at the moment where you've mastered it uh give you something new exactly at the moment with where you've mastered everything that's in front of you so i don't know how far you've gotten in hades yet patrick but i found that when it came to beating meg i had reached this incredible frustrating plateau in the game where i was like i'm gonna get to the end of tartarus finally and just eat shit every single fucking time this sucks i hate it um and the, that was not only reflected in the dialogue that you get with Meg after fighting her for so many fucking times, where she's just like, aren't you tired of doing this? Like, why don't you just give up? Blah, 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 blah. Um, but it was, I, I once I finally broke through that plateau, I realized that the feeling I was had was like a designed feeling. Like this was the intended style of game play, where you hit a wall, and then you break through it and it's the the feeling of freedom that feeling of escape that you experience in that moment was the one that they had meticulously spent so long designing for me to experience so yeah it's it's have, a
4: roguelike that uh narratively comments on the fact that it's a roguelike so often roguelikes yeah. w- don't they're just like yep that's just the structure of this game loop and uh maybe there's a meta commentary on it but this is one in which like as you're dying, like the the game is recognizing that you're dying repeatedly, the story is advancing, like mm-hmm. the, for the story from micro stories to advance. You do need to die, come back, have new dialogue options. So like that's the thing that, um, like relative to a Spelunky 2, right? Which is coldly mm-hmm. indifferent to, yeah. uh, to to your death. Like the progress is all invisible. It is happening in your brain as you internalize an encyclopedia. Uh, for your fingers and for your mind. And yes. on some level, that's happening in, in, in Hades, but it is, there are just, there's just more going on that I think, especially if you have bounced off roguelikes, you find them to be too punishing, too challenging. Um, this is like Hades feels, um, like, for me, someone who plays a lot of these, like, considers myself, like, if I have any expertise, it's in the action, like, sort of, like, genre, and so, like, I was able to jump into this really quickly, and mm-hmm. it's part of why I bounce off Super Giant Games in the past, because, like, they just feel fiddly in a way that, like, I just demand a little more precision. This yeah. game feels so fucking good, and also seems, like, based on your reaction, to, like, scale really well on, like, a bunch of different skill levels. Yes. It also has a, a an option um, Called God Mode, where it's yeah. like even even based on what it has, if you are just taken by the world and the characters and the story, and you kind of just want to mash the A button and like just get to the next bit, they have that option yeah. there for you. Um, and so it's just I'm just really Im-, I'm I am glad I waited, but I'm also just really impressed at the game. Um, just whole cloth. It is it is just a. Just a remarkable thing where I intended to just boot it and play. I like, I'll do one or two runs so that like I can have a conversation with Gita about it on the next podcast. And then I it can. was like, <laughs> uh, yeah. like I'm, now I'm like on the twelfth run. I made it as far as the so, second boss. So like the you know the game yeah. you know is that is one's structured. A tough one. Yeah, yeah. I made it like three fourths through fighting that snake, and then I had this really good. Uh, I was really enjoying the shield. And yes. I, I, I had this upgrade with the shield where it would bounce off like six enemies. And yes. so I could just kind of like just like putz from the corner and just like just be throwing the shield um yep. over and over again. And the different weapons all feel very, very good. How uh, many of the weapons do you
2: have right now? What weapons do you have right now?
4: I have the shield, the sword, the um and the, the, the bow and arrow. So I'm and I'm working okay. up getting up the keys for like I think it's a whip is maybe like that that next one. Um, uh, uh,
2: not quite. But you—you okay. got some surprises that will make you laugh out loud when it comes to just like what weapons are in the game, and I Great. encourage you to not look them up.
4: I will not. No, I'm. Yeah, yeah I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. Part, it, it doesn't mean a game that is like really built on on surprise and delighting yeah. you, um, yes. and like rewarding you for exploring and, and, like, being meticulous um, yeah. in, in a way that, uh, it's just, yeah, again, yeah. like, I'm just really, I really impressed by Hades.
2: Narratively, also, what a good idea to plug into an existing mythology that a lot of people are very familiar with. So, every time you meet a new god, I bet you have a moment of, like, I remember from the grade school unit I did on Greek mythology, what this god is, and then the interpretation of it comes in, and you already know, like, how, it, it's fan fiction-y in a the good way. Like Yes. Blade Runner 2049 fills fanfiction in a bad way where it's answering a question that I don't actually give a shit about. This is fanfiction in a good way where it's like, you know who Dionysus is. He's the god of wine. So here's this like swinger English uncle guy (laughs) that is like weird and horny with you and always saying that things are going to be really randy, baby. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, absolutely. This scans for me. Here's Aphrodite. She's a goddess of love and she's nude and she calls me her little godling. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Scans. That works for me. So you're you're meeting this halfway narratively where you understand the basic baseline and character relationships. So they don't have to explain that to you. And that gives them a chance to take this narrative in really interesting places. There's some great stuff with, um, what's his name? Achilles is the person who trains you. And Mm -hmm. Rob will know that Achilles had a lover. (laughs) And you'll meet him. And that that's just tragic all around. <laughs> waka waka. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: yeah. Good game. Hades, good. Very and good. Music whips also. All the Switch music in Tartarus is so great.
4: Well, all the soundtracks are great. Again, like yeah. this is like this is like the like I, I feel like Supergiant has been chasing something yeah. very specific, and yeah. Hades is the representation is like it's the yeah. culmination of 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 a design philosophy over the course of bastion um uh uh why am i blanking on the second one after i just said it uh t- transistor uh, t- transistor. T- transistor um uh and and Pyre, and this like there is a mm. dna between all of those games and hades is like them firing at all cylinders like we found it like it, yeah it, it, it's it's all clicked together um yeah. in, in a way that uh probably was benefited by the early access part. Like I wouldn't be shocked if they never go back from that and, yeah. and all of their games going forward are are early access because I – it wouldn't – um the things that are so good about this game, like I wonder if like that's the kind of thing that was ironed out in doing that like early access portion and that – what is there a world where Hades comes out in it's normal 1.0 through a normal development process, quote unquote normal, like obviously early access is very normalized these days, but I mean for, for their previous process where maybe I end up having some of the same misgivings. Um, but that all got figured out by having just an intense focus group, um, obsessing over the game for, you know, 18 months.
2: If you look back at the old patch notes, uh, they indicate which, which updates to weapons, especially come from community feedback and, Every time I look at the patch notes and it has a little icon that indicates it comes from community feedback, I can see that those are ones that are based off of hundreds of hours of play and they're incredibly specific, but they are huge quality of life improvements that make the game like 300% better. Like I really think that this game would not have been good without the experience of it being in early access because they they nailed down the gameplay part via community feedback. They really did.
1: So I just want to shout out something I learned over this weekend. Hmm. Co-op shooters. They're good. <laughs> uh, it's been a minute since I played them. Uh, and I think we, I went through the phase that everyone went through where it's like, I'm going to play Left 4 Dead obsessively with my friends for, mm. you know, a couple, se- a couple seasons. Uh And then I kind of fell off of those. And so over the course of Save Point, I kind of binged uh, sort of by accident. Ended up playing Syndicate, uh, the Starbreeze cyberpunk shooter uh, with with Austin, Natalie, and Emmanuel. Uh, Austin and I played Hunt Showdown, uh, the Crytek uh, Battle Royale monster slaying game. With Parmadeath. In, yeah, in a haunted 19th century bayou. Uh, and we played I Deep hate Rock it Galactic when
2: I'm in a haunted 19th century bayou. Man, that t- shit always sucks. It's <laughs> icky,
1: <laughs> let me tell you. Um, it is, it is not good down there. Uh, ended up playing uh, a lot of Deep Rock Galactic, uh, with Gita, Austin, uh, Libby, and uh, Joel, our old friend Joel Fowler, uh, Armand Moe, lot, lots of folks, uh, that was cool as hell. Yeah, and games fun. It turns out I love this fucking like genre. I love the the teamwork. Like teamwork is good. Love me some teamwork. Teamwork that seems superficially easy, but there's a lot of ways for people to like fuck up and have things go horrifically awry. That's my sweet spot. It turns out, and so many of those games just like. Absolutely lived in that space, and now I'm like, now I'm addicted. Now I'm like, oh man, I could be, I could be playing, I could be playing Syndicate right now. Why well, am Robert I, Zachary, why am I selling this podcast?
2: Let me tell you about a little game called
1: Destiny Two.
2: <laughs> Robert Zachney. Okay. <laughs> oh, Robert Zakhney.
1: No, but see, I fell off Destiny. I didn't. I didn't want to be mean about Destiny. I, I feel. I feel bad punching Destiny. You feel bad, people. Kato. You don't feel bad punching <laughs> Destiny.
2: I punch Destiny every single time I play it. Destiny disappoints me every time I play Destiny.
1: But I, but I think that like I think the issue for me is Destiny uh, can feel a little bit rote, particularly in the way its uh, scenarios are constructed as kind of like very linear yeah. levels. Like you you run this. There's experience no again
2: for the chaos that you experience in Deep Rock Galactic. You will right. experience an intense moment of I thought we were going to die and we somehow made it in Deep Rock Galactic, but in Destiny, it's a very curated experience where they're like, You're gonna do this jump puzzle. You're
1: not you're just gonna it. do it. You're, you're <laughs> probably not going to have the like, hey, um, where did where did Gita go? Gita was <laughs> yeah. here. Now Gita's gone. Now Gita's dead. Yeah. But like yeah. She appears to be <laughs> trapped through layers of rock, and my
2: favorite <laughs> moment yesterday was you guys were getting to the drop ship, and I was just like, "Listen, just leave me. It's not worth it. <laughs> it's just like, absolutely not worth it to come back for me. Don't just go."
1: <laughs> so I, I think um, it turns out, like over over the course of Save Point, I was reminded there were a lot of shooters that I meant to check out over the last like five or six years, and a uh, bunch of them roll. And uh, so now I think I'm I think I'm gonna become a co-op shooter uh, guy. I really, I think that's...
3: I'm really curious what you would think of Destiny raids.
2: Yeah, I am also curious. It's
3: I such a different stressful. mode. Well, here's the thing: how how in what in what context did you do them before? Have you tried one?
1: Yeah, uh, I had it run through with some friends, and uh, we had a guide. And there were a lot of things that I found exasperating about it. Um, partly in that Destiny Raids are long, okay? It starts out like woohoo, Destiny Raid. Two and a half hours later, mistakes are no longer as funny. Mm. And if I'm making those mistakes, it can be a little tense where it's like, D- dude, you didn't do juggle. You did juggle wrong. And I'm like, because <laughs> I didn't understand what the fuck you were saying about how to do this stupid goddamn like the stupid goddamn checkpoint. Uh, um
3: was this was this Destiny one or Destiny Two? Uh
1: that was Question. uh Taken King. That Taken was King the, uh, I was gonna say that was yeah, King that fall. sounds like
3: a fault that that is to date still the longest Destiny raid. It is not a yeah. good raid to be the first or, or and or only raid that yeah, you have done that I was, that I finished
1: game. that and I was like I like everyone on this raid crew less than I did at the start. That and also so,
3: that also definitely, and, like, I don't know if you, I don't know who these people were, but that also definitely can come from a certain type of uh, guide and the idea being put on, like, we're going to finish this today. Um, there needs to be absolutely space and room for people to fuck up, especially the first time through a raid that I think a lot of people don't have the patience for, Um Kato was an
2: excellent guide because he was very, very patient with us. A lot of people who are doing their very first raid and gave us the room to figure things out, to assign our own roles and to change our call outs, to change the general strategy if things were not working. Kato, I feel like I would not, I would have gone apeshit if I was with anyone other than Kato.
1: Can we talk about Kato for one second though? Uh, He's great. Yeah. Not only did Kato secretly, like, create a technical solution that made Save point like, workable uh, throughout a lot of that, Just but I also learned something work, honestly. really important about Kato, which is that actually Kato's good at games, and the rest of us are not <laughs> good in that same
2: day. It's the hyper-competence of Guillermo from what we do in The Shadows. It truly, truly, truly is. Every time Guillermo solves everyone's problems and is like, I didn't really do anything, I'm like, that's Kato! <laughs>
3: Yeah. I'm okay. I'm all right. Uh, I'm all right at some games. I feel like yeah, I, it, I feel like the one that I'm best at. and I feel like I end up applying a lot of these skills everywhere. Is because I played Destiny so fucking. It was literally the only game I had at that at the end at that end uh year or whatever of the PS3 uh because wow. I was poor and therefore if I could play yeah. a game for a million hours I was gonna yeah uh,
2: you were gonna get that <laughs> I game. was gonna yeah. get that
3: game and then just play it forever. Um, well, it was striking the degree to which like.
1: In any game we're playing together, uh, like when the chips were down, Kato would come to the rescue or like Kato just understood the thing that that people were not getting.
2: Oh, hang on. Hang on. It says, and you know, Kato's doing something incredibly complex that will just change your life and make everything easier for you. Yeah.
1: So I'm a co-op games. They're good. Kato. Also good. Uh, Co-op games with Kato. Oh, Chef kiss. We love it. Uh, I think that will do it. For today's show, uh, you can follow us on uh, Twitter at Waypoint. Uh, you can check out what we are writing at waypoint.vice.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Patrick, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Patrick Kulbeck. Gita.
2: At XOXO Gossip Gita.
3: Kato. At A underscore Kato underscore appears.
1: Our music is by Bowen off the EP Pale Machine. Uh, The track is called Miss You. You can uh, check that out at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. But that will do it for this week's episode Uh, until, well, not this week, but look, until Thursday. Unless we skip Thursday, I don't know this wasn't supposed to happen. (laughs) I'm not even supposed to be here. It's going to be an off day. There will be a recording on
3: Thursday. Yeah. At, well, at it'll some be, point, it'll we're be definitely Friday. fucking
1: capitalism going home. Yeah. Uh, and we, <laughs> might, we might stay at home to not record a podcast. So stay tuned, check out your feed, see what happens. I don't know. It's a party but When we do record another episode, it'll be good. Promise.
3: the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. <laughs> you got to
4: give it, did it a, Catchphrase. Did we just, <laughs> just, did we just record an hour podcast? My God, it would be still Patrick's heart. Oh, um, <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. One
2: star runtime. <laughs> I'm
4: am, I am the cotto of executing a run of show.
2: Yeah.
4: Beautiful, Rob, beautiful. I couldn't be more impressed.
2: Um, I immediately compared it when I was trying to say Emmanuel normally I wouldn't be on a, a Monday pod, but this is like Disney buying Fox and all of the issues there baby no. <laughs> with the new trailer for WandaVision coming out also and people asking how they're going to do House of M if there's no mutants is like, well, here's uh, a when we get into the extremely dumb nerd problems at the,
4: at the end she just says now more mutants and you just fucking nah. it's a round, um, at <laughs> line. come on it's not that hard kevin feige let's
3: go
2: yeah they so hit the inhumans because- but nobody oh, cares wish- about the
3: inhumans so vision Feige.
2: Feige. it is
3: yes, it is? yes. i th-
1: i've been I- saying phage dude
4: me too like <laughs> I'm I'm obsessed with that world and then I was listening to a podcast and someone said Fig and I was like shut the fuck up that, kid, that is no, not a chance and then I, looked feet, up. And I was like ah shit people used up. to
1: have their own culture and we used to be able to create art and culture on our own but then the Kevin Phage was done to us by the phage <laughs> yeah, and now there's only Marvel <laughs>